Good morning. For those of you who I haven't met, I see a good amount of faces I don't know. I'm Johnny. Uh, I'm the pastor of Zion, Staten Island, uh, and I have the privilege of being able to come and share the word with you all in Brooklyn from time to time. So very happy to be here. I'm really excited to share uh, this word, this sermon on this uh, particular scripture set. But before we get in uh, into the scripture, I have a, a question for us to think about. Have you ever made a commitment to something, ever committed to something, and then after you committed and started in that commitment, realize that it was a much deeper commitment than you anticipated, right? I see a lot of head nods. Maybe you agreed to babysit my kids while me and my wife went out to dinner. <laughs> and you thought we'd be back around 8.39 maybe, but what you failed to factor in is that we don't know when the next date night is gonna be, so we're gonna stay out as late as we possibly can. And you was texting us at 11.45 like, are you guys close? We're like, ah, oh, there was a long wait at, at the restaurant. Or maybe you've helped me move before, which a good amount of you have. And when I said, can you come help us move on this day, you assumed that you were going to come into a house fully packed. <laughs> and you were going to pick up some boxes, and you were going to take them into a truck, and then you were going to go home and have lunch, only to realize that only about two-thirds of the house was packed, and the rest of the stuff was everywhere, and there were empty boxes we needed you to help fill. <laughs> Dave, I'm sorry, you, a good friend. <laughs> That's a real example. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get movers the next time, though. Let's spare y'all. Or for the married folk in the room, maybe you said I do till death do us part, and you really didn't realize the weight of that until your first month of marriage, or the first six months of marriage, or the first year of marriage. And you start weighing your options, you know what I mean? You didn't know that that was like a this or that, right? It's much deeper, much harder, much more involved than you anticipated it being. Well, this was often the type of experience that the followers of Jesus had. Jesus' disciples had bought into the message he was sharing. They had bought into uh, uh, following him and following God. And they had bought into what they thought religion was about, what they thought following God was about. And Jesus constantly flipped the script on them and made it much deeper than they thought it was going to be. Right? People would come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I follow the law. I've never committed adultery. And Jesus would say, well, if you've ever lusted for a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. People would come up to Jesus and say, uh, 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 Jesus, I've never killed anybody. I've never murdered. And Jesus would say, well, if you've ever hated somebody in your heart, then you've committed the, the sin of murder, right? It was always much deeper than people anticipated it being. And Jesus was always opening up their understanding. It's not that he was changing it. It's just that they didn't realize the depth of it at first. Jesus was revealing the depth of it to them. All the signs were there. And so today, in today's scripture, we're going to read about one of these experiences. We're going to read about Jesus taking, taking uh, uh, the rule of the law that love your neighbor as yourself and then giving everybody around him a shovel to dig much, much deeper into what this should mean. And so read with me from Luke 6, starting at uh, verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time we get to spend examining and learning from the scripture that you've given us. We pray that you would open our hearts, that our hearts would be fertile soil, that they would be good ground for the seed of your word to be planted into. Remove our ideas of what things should be, our preferences, and open us up to the truth of your word today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the first thing that I want to point out about uh, this, this, this part of this uh, message from Jesus that he's given to his disciples is that loving your neighbors is not enough. See, elsewhere in the gospel, Jesus says this when they ask him, what is the most important commandment? Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And so this was something that was understood by the people who followed Jesus. This is how they understood their responsibility to the law. Their responsibility as followers of God was to love their neighbor, was to do good to their neighbor for the benefit of their community so that together, if everybody was doing good for their neighbors, then the whole community would thrive. It was a very community-oriented way of thinking. And so this made sense to everybody. Everybody was on board with this. This makes sense to us today. Do good to the people who are around you. Do good to your neighbors, to your community, to your family. But if I'm being honest, this commandment on its own is very, very difficult for me to live out on a day-to-day. This, this commandment on its own is something I have to pray for strength for on a daily basis, to love the people that are in my house well, to love the people in this room well, People I genuinely love and care for, I constantly fail at loving well. I constantly fail at doing good to the people that I love. 
That in itself is difficult enough. But Jesus comes and makes the commandment much deeper. He takes it to a whole different level. We're not required just to love our neighbor, but to love our enemy. Now, just take a moment, pause, and think about that for a second. As I was preparing this sermon and really considering this, this, this group of, of, of verses, I was shook. Take a moment to think about somebody you'd consider an enemy. Right? None of us are superheroes. We don't have arch nemesis or anything like that. But think about somebody who doesn't love you, who don't got love for you, somebody who goes out of their way to cause you hurt or harm. Think about somebody who makes your life difficult. Right? Maybe you're thinking of your boss. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's an old friend. Maybe it's an actual neighbor, right? I'm learning that the neighbor beefs go deep. The neighbor pettiness, that, that's a whole different level of pettiness. Think about somebody who you would consider an enemy and now consider that Jesus is telling us it's our duty as Christians to love those people. Now, I just said it's hard for me to love the people I actually love. How in the world am I supposed to love people that I do not like, people that I do not rock with, people that don't rock with me? It sounds crazy. And if I'm being honest, it sounds impossible to me. It goes against all of our human nature. It goes against everything we feel like we want to do. It goes against everything we've learned growing up in the world. And this isn't just true of us. It was true for the people Jesus was teaching this to also. Jesus was teaching this message to Jews living in occupied territory. The Roman Empire were considered the enemies of all of the people that were following Jesus. And so when Jesus was saying, love your enemy, the Roman Empire was going to be front of mind for them. And so they'd be thinking, I'm supposed to love the Roman soldier who's causing me to live uh, oppressed and scared. I'm supposed to love the tax collector who is stealing from me, who is robbing from me blatantly. For us, maybe it's I'm supposed to love my, my disrespectful boss who underpays me who doesn't value my time. I'm supposed to love my ex who makes seeing the kids so difficult. I'm supposed to love my family who gossips and talks behind my back. How am I supposed to love them? And what Jesus is doing here is he's laying out a uniquely Christian ethic a uniquely Christian way of living. And what he's saying is, it's no big deal to love people who are easy for you to love. 
He's saying that's, that's what you're going to try to do anyway. It's no big deal for you to do that. It's no big deal to lend to people who can easily pay you back. It's no big deal to do a good thing to somebody who you know is going to do a good thing right back to you. Right? I'm fortunate to, to live in the same building as Kurt and Rachel. Some of you know them. We have a great relationship. The other night, it was like 10.30 p.m., and I wanted to have Pop-Tarts. And right after I popped the Pop-Tarts into the toaster, I realized I had no more milk. And I'm not about to eat dry Pop-Tarts. <laughs> so I text Kurt and Rachel. I said, can I get a glass of almond milk? And they said, bet, come down. And I went downstairs with a cup, got a glass of almond milk, <laughs> went right back upstairs. And there's no problem in doing that because the next day when they needed some ice, Kurt sent me a text and said, I'm trying to make an ice pour over, but we ran out of ice. Can I get some ice? I said, yeah, bet, come through. Gave him a giant Ziploc bag full of ice. And that's our relationship. Whenever one of us doesn't have something, we go, we text the other one and, and we go up and down. We know that we have that relationship. And what Jesus is saying is that we shouldn't pat ourselves on the back to say, look how kind we are to one another. Because we know that the good things we're doing are going to be returned back to us. We know at some point, I'm going to need something from you. If it's not now, then I can give to you now because later on, I'm going to need the opposite favor return. That's how the relationships work. And Jesus isn't saying this is a bad thing. He's just saying you don't get to pat yourself on the back for it. You don't get to feel good about that. You're giving something and you're getting something. And that's great, but that's not what I'm commanding you to do. That is not the extent of where your love goes. See, church, being a Christian is a lifelong call to loving people who hate you. It's real, and it's scary to think about. And so Jesus is showing us that just loving our neighbor is not enough. But he's also teaching us that not doing evil is not enough either. See, this is where Jesus introduces the golden rule. But he does it in a very specific way. He doesn't uh, do it in the negative. Don't do to others what you don't want done to you. That's not what he says. He says, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. He puts it in a positive instead of in the negative, and that changes the meaning of, of the sentence completely. And what it means is I don't just have to abstain from doing evil. I don't just need the self-control not to retaliate, but I need to actively be doing good to my enemies. My goodness. This positive version of the golden rule has no measurement. It's easy for me to measure whether or not I've done something to someone else that I don't want them to do to me. That's easy. 
and I can create a little checkbox and make sure that nothing I did to anybody else in this day was something that I wouldn't have wanted them to also do to me in a different situation. But when you put it in the positive, do unto others as you want them to do unto you, this is impossible to measure. This has no measurement. This has no end. There is no point in my life at which I can say, I've done everything to everybody around me that I would ever want done to myself. It's impossible. My needs are always changing. They're always growing. They're dependent on the situation. I don't just need a hug one day. I need a hug tomorrow. I don't just need somebody to show me love at one small moment in my life, but I need somebody to show me love consistently throughout my life. The rule that Jesus is putting in place here is a rule that has no end. There's no mark. There's no box you can check to say, good, I'm done. I did it. I, I did unto others as I would have wanted them to do unto me. It is a never-ending process. It's a box that you check, and then the next day it resets, and you got to check it again and check it again. And this is the experience of your entire life. Jesus is setting what feels like an unrealistically, unreasonably high bar here. One of the most difficult for me personally. I just told you, I'm still trying to learn how to love the people I love. And Jesus is telling me I need to be actively doing good to the people who hate me. And Jesus digs in further. He gives some specific examples. He says, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who hurt you. But Jesus, I am petty. <laughs> I was the kid growing up that if you did something that I felt slighted by, I would not rest until I got retribution for that thing. And it was never even, it was always worse. I would go for the jugular. You can make a joke about my hat and I'll find the deepest insecurity you have <laughs> and bring it to light in front of a big group of people. I had no limits. I know some of you are looking at me like, what do you mean you were that kid? Jesus is still working on me. He's still working on me. It's a process, beloved. It's a process. Doing good to those who hate me makes no sense. It's just never what I feel inclined to do. I can be indifferent. I could do that. I could keep my distance. I can separate myself from you and wish you the best. I could do that. That's not what Jesus is asking me to do. He's asking me to do good to those people. And that's a tough sell. That's a hard thing to do. He goes even further and he says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now I need to give a little bit of clarification because when I read this, I don't know, I think of like Bugs Bunny when he like took off his glove and he would like slap Elmer Fudd with it. 
But that's not, that's not the visual Jesus is giving here. The picture that's being painted here is a closed-fisted punch to the face. So if somebody punches you in the face, offer the other side of your face also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. So if you get beat up and robbed, let them beat you up and rob you again. Jesus, I am from Brooklyn. This don't make no sense to me. It goes against everything that I believe, everything that I've learned, everything I was taught growing up. What are you saying here? This doesn't make any sense. And to be clear, Jesus isn't saying he wants you to get beat up and robbed every time you step out the house. But he's giving an example of what our attitude should be, what our posture should be towards everyone. Because if we can be like this towards our enemies, then we can be like this towards everybody. If we can learn to love our enemies, then we can love everybody else also. And so the love we have for our enemies should be unconditional and unrelenting and unending love. It should be a love that makes us willing to be taken advantage of. A love that makes us willing to give up of our personal possessions. A love that makes us willing to put down our pride and our ego. A love that makes us willing to be made a fool if that is what the Lord would require from us in that moment. When we receive an injury, never to seek revenge, but to be willing to be injured again. A readiness to give and to give and to give and to give without ever receiving it back, to continue to give and to give. And when they stomp on your kindness, to continue to give and to give. And when they spit in your face, to continue to give and to give. And when they continue to hate you and talk bad about you, to continue to give and to give and to give. Jesus is telling us this is what it means to be a follower of him. And examples of people who live like this are, are few and far between. But just for some context and some perspective, as I was thinking about the examples that I've, I've seen throughout, throughout history, throughout life of people who live this way, one that really stood out was, was Martin Luther King. Right? Refused to meet evil with evil refused to meet injustice with injustice, refused to meet violence with violence. Quoted saying that returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. 
Jesus is calling his disciples to love with a radically sacrificial love towards everyone that's around them. And while it seems to not make sense, and it seems to go against every fiber of our being, everything that we're programmed to do, it's important for us to take a step back and think about what this means for us as Christians. Specifically, what being a Christian has to do with loving your enemy. Specifically, why Jesus was giving us what is a Christian ethic here. Why was this important for us to understand? And it's because we can only love our enemies when we truly understand how God has loved us. It is impossible to love our neighbors this way unless we truly believe in God. Right? If we believe that God will protect us and provide for us, then we don't need to worry about retribution. We don't need to worry about protecting ourselves. We don't need to try to sustain our own selves if we truly trust that God will do these things for us. If we believe, like we read in, 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 in last week's uh, Bible reading plan, that Jesus has the final word in all of our affairs, from Revelation 3-7, what he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. If we believe that Jesus has the final word on everything, that I don't need to worry about being petty and getting revenge. If we believe Matthew 6, 32 and 33, your heavenly father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Then I don't need to worry about who disrespected me or who played me or who took advantage of me because God is gonna provide for everything that I need. If we believe 1 Peter 5.10, in his kindness, God calls you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. If I believe these things, then I have no need, no reason to hate my enemy because I know that God is going to take care of everything for me. If God is in control of everything, I only need to worry about living how he's called me to live. And every injustice, every unfairness, and every evil will be accounted for. And Jesus says, when I live this way, then your reward from heaven will be very great. But most importantly, we cannot even fathom positioning ourselves this way unless we truly believe the gospel. Specifically, believe the gospel. Jesus says at the end of, of this call to love your enemies, he says, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. 
And when we read that, we think of our enemies. But our enemies are not the only ones who are unthankful and wicked. This is us. Q Taylor Swift, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. We are the ones who are ungrateful and wicked. It's my second Taylor Swift reference in two sermons. Romans 5.10 says this, our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. Sometimes we forget that God wasn't indifferent towards us. We weren't indifferent towards God. Our state of being prior to receiving the salvation of Jesus Christ was as his enemies. Before we received Jesus's salvation, God didn't look at us and say, there is somebody who just doesn't know me yet. God saw us as his enemies. We were actively his enemies. And so when Jesus died for us, he was loving his enemies. We were God's enemies. We were unthankful and wicked, and yet he loved us. He says, bless those who curse you. He was cursed at and received the ultimate curse of being hung on a tree. He says, if somebody slaps you in the cheek, give them the other cheek. Jesus was struck down. It says that they hit him in his face and he did nothing to return the blow. He was whipped and he was beaten and he was bruised and he was humiliated and he continued to endure that hate because he loved his enemies. Jesus says, if they take your, your, your robe, offer them your undergarment also. Beloved, they took Jesus' robe. They stripped him naked and they gambled for who was going to keep his clothes. And they made a march to the cross and hang there naked and humiliated. Every single thing Jesus is commanding us to do in this scripture, he already did for us in the most extreme way. And if we forget for a moment, Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, then we will never be able to love our enemies. We were unlovely. We were not worthy of any love absolutely not worthy of God's love. We were enemies of God, but he loved us sacrificially and unconditionally. And what nerve it would take to deem somebody else not worthy of this great love that we so freely received. 
what nerve it would take for us to look at an enemy and say, you are not worthy of love when God looked at his enemy and said, I'm pouring out my unending, unrelenting love on you, even though you're not worthy of it. How easy it is for us to forget what our position truly is. Helpless enemies of God without him dying for us while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies. Beloved, this is the power of the gospel. This is the greatest way that you can invite somebody who is undeserving of love into this great love that we have found. By loving them the way that Jesus loves you. By following Jesus truly in his love for his enemies. And so as we close and the band begins to come back up. This is what I pose to you and to myself also this week. Really think about somebody you avoid. Somebody you dislike. Somebody you don't rock with. Somebody who dislikes you. Think about who your enemy is and ask the Holy Spirit to make the gospel so real in your heart that you can't help but extend the same love to them that Jesus extended to you. Let's pray. Father, This is a hard, a hard teaching. This is a very difficult thing that you've called us to do. But we know that it's a good thing. And we thank you for doing it for us. God, as we consider and examine and study these scriptures, God, I pray that it would uh, uh, spring up a well of thankfulness and gratefulness to you for loving us while we were your enemies because we know how hard it is to love our own enemies. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make the gospel so real in our hearts. That you would empower us to do this the way that only you can, not in our own strength, by the power of your spirit living in us. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.